Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm doing something a little different for this show, and I'm interviewing two of our residents at once. There's a reason for this. Uh, Helen Hardis and Jude Roberts applied separately, but referenced each other so much that we figured during the curatorial process that it would actually be quite interesting to have them working directly together in the space and to see how that affects the whole residency process. In a way, this contravenes House Conspiracy's emphasis on forging new connections within the local arts scene. But given that they're in cycle alongside Anna and Dave, it didn't seem like such a big deal. What's more, in approaching the space as a team, the energy and ambition Helen and Jude have brought with them is almost unparalleled. Now, just before we begin, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of regular housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, you can join our mailing list. It's worth it. And now, on to the show. Jude have their studios across the hall from one another, and their doors are always open. There are kitchen utensils, sheets and sheets of paper, and strange rusted contraptions spread across the two rooms, as well as the house conspiracy galley downstairs. Jude describes one large piece of paper she has in the space as being like a safety blanket, like the one Linus from Peanuts carries around. And that's more or less true. By now, I've seen that paper everywhere. The two artists are constantly moving from room to room, upstairs and downstairs, shifting found objects and furniture and projectors around. It seems they're creating what's shaping up to be one of the most extensive house conspiracy showcases yet. And by the time this airs, I guess we'll know for certain whether that prediction holds true. What I like most about their partnership, though, and what I explicate in this conversation is that both artists approach the same subject matter from different complementary perspectives and, as they explicate here, as they answer more or less the same questions, they approach that subject matter with slightly varied underpinning reasons and foci. But now, for them to speak for themselves, here's Helen Hardis and Jude Roberts. Jude and Helen, we have you on a podcast together. Um, you're in a house conspiracy. You're working together, sort of, but also on your own projects across in your own studios. Um, how is it, I suppose, to, to start off, how is it that that you've ended up in a, in a situation where I would put you on the podcast together? What's your origin story as friends and as collaborators? Um, well, I'll start. Um, Helen and I know each other through drawing, drawing practice, um, and we've continued to um, appreciate each other's arts practices for some years now. Um, and Helen, we've we found that we have a common interest in our work, and that's working with land and, and particularly me with the water issues. Um, and recently we went out on a trip to Kanamala and... Um, stayed at a location where there's the bore, hot bore water and so we decided to put in this application together and make and collaborate on certain aspects of our the work that we're doing here at the house. 
Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm studying a fine arts degree at QCA at the moment and Jude has had a long association there. Now she did her DVA there and she teaches there. So um, we've stayed in touch through that as well very much, haven't we? Mm. Um, Taken interest in each other's work and really, I think, do have an appreciation for our, the language that we use in our art making. Yeah. Mm. The languages in the, the visual languages that you sort of share and the yes, yeah. So yeah, you both deal with you both deal with nature. Um, what draws both of you to it? Are there overlaps in what draws you to it? Are you drawn to it for different reasons, Helen? If you start, hmm. um, I'm not sure that I would know really exactly what um, how Jude would express that. But for me, it's been a lifelong thing for sure. Um, one of the first things that I really fell in love with was the place where I grew up. Um, it was just a suburb in Melbourne, but it hadn't been totally built out. And I, not that I'd seen many other places, but to me it was just incredibly beautiful. Had bushland and um, we were able to just run wild in it. That interest and that, the love for those natural environments has always been with me. So it's a natural thing to do. I wouldn't say that it's the only thing that I want to explore in my artwork or that I have explored, but I do find myself returning to it over and over again. So in a way, I think I get a lot of inspiration and um, grounding um, for my artwork and just for me as a person as well. Yeah, so it's a very natural thing to want to... Um, do what we did when we went camping, which really was um, an immersion. It was 10 days of being in these places, very interesting places that for me were very new, but you'll find, as you talk to Jude about her story, that they're places that she's lived in and been in and returned to over and over again. So Jude, what, what's drawn you to nature and to, to that returning process? Uh, similar to Helen in the beginning, um, growing up, near national parks, visiting. I, lived, I grew up in Sydney mostly. So it was an appreciation of those environments that, I mean, I still love. And that's why I love going into different places um, and to immerse myself in, in the drawing process, um, sometimes of which entails actually hopping into the river or to, you know, lying in the ground and making the marks, um, you know, on the earth or in that water itself. Um, but I guess the more and more that I'm there, I'm, I'm realising the changes. So I don't know whether it's I'm drawing nature itself. It's more um, drawing the, the, the traces or the, the changes that are happening in our environment, environments as well um, in those so-called natural areas or man-made natural. I guess they're, they're, two, they're the same thing now with mm. nature and man-made structures and habitats and environments. So uh, it's just the love of um, yeah, being in particularly remote areas. And so I, when I married, I moved to southwest of Mitchell. So I was on a property that was fairly remote. So I was there for about 20, uh, been over 20 years. Um, then my husband and I moved to Brisbane where we are now. But um, uh, yeah, running a, a property, um, that's where you know, my love and my interest in the Great Artesian Basin um, began as well, just being on those areas, seeing, you know, day-to-day -day water supplies 
and uh, pumping of water, you know, particularly in droughts. You, you see the extremes. Um, and so I guess that's where my interest in the groundwater began, you know, living on the property. And so when, when you talk sort of about, um, and I want to get to the differences in your practices, but when, when, you, when you talk about sort of the changes happening to the land and sort of the, these shifts, and, you know, we were talking briefly before the podcast about, you know, developments and sort of the, the, the shift of green space and how much green space there is in our cities and in our country as a whole. Is, 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 is your, your dealing with landscape and the land, is it, is it political, politically driven or is it primarily sort of aesthetic and is it, is it this appreciative sort of thing? Or is it both? I mean, all art is obviously inherently political, but mm. the drive there and the underpinning for you guys. Mm. Um, that's a really good question. There's a lot in that. Um, I would say that um, the underpinning for me is um, an existential question. Mm -hmm. um, so whether I'm putting my attention into an environment such as the one that's just been described or um, into some other matter, really I think that there's one question behind it all, and that is to do with well, what it, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be alive? And then when I go out into um, those rural properties that we we stayed on, I'm wondering what I'm looking at, and I'm thinking about the narratives that I have already pre-absorbed, you could say, about Australia's beginnings and our post-colonial history. Um, and I'm also thinking about how I've been trained conceptually, being um, part of a European culture, to think about places and to think about landscape, um, and in particular, um, Australian landscape and the environment. I think all that feeds into it. And then I'm aware that I'm very much have been an urban dweller. I have this love, like so many Australians, for the uh, more remote parts of Australia, but actually have very little direct experience. And so I felt very much as a newcomer and that I wasn't really, I could see that my understanding was best not to, was almost, I needed to delay my understanding or the ideas that I was forming about the place to actually try and absorb it and to try and absorb the stories that I was hearing from the property owners and from other people that we met and talked to um, because I really didn't know. And I could see that, yes, the landscape was not as it was when white people arrived there, that it has gone through quite a considerable intervention and the impacts of that are still evolving and we are definitely part of that. And I was aware also two of the places that I visited were, they were primary producers. So they were supplying our tables. Um, and so I was very interested, and Jude and I have been talking with this project we're doing together, that we are bringing some of those experiences back into the domestic environment, which is so admirably suited to the house conspiracy setup, where we can process some of those. Mm. Uh, experiences and things that we're thinking about in terms of us as city dwellers. So it is very much a human experience. 
Yeah, in a, in a sort of, and sort of bringing it back to the domesticity. I wanted to ask really briefly before I sort of shift the the long question to you, Jude. The, in terms of sort of, yeah, like you said, like na- nature's not the only thing you deal with, but it all sort of ties back to existentialism. Mm. Going back to what you said about about your your childhood and sort of growing up, sort of mm. in a non built up area, is it? Is it almost, do you think that the draw between nature and existentialism is tied to that? Um, I would say, yeah, definitely, yes. So it would be, uh, I think when, uh, well, I'm definitely drawn to things that make me feel good. So I know that from natural environments I experienced a joy or a beauty or a, just a wonderful feeling and um, that's something that I've uh, thought about a lot during my life that I've been interested very much in fostering as much as I can but also of course it's very perplexing to be a human being and uh, you're aware that you're uh, like everyone else probably you're a bit of a weirdo (laughs) in many ways and that we're all grappling with that you know weirdness within ourselves but wanting very much to also have a life where we can appreciate things and um, talk about the complexity of, of the whole thing. And definitely there is a strong connection I've been working on all year really is that I each day I journey out into the greater world, taking with me my own internal world. I have a lot of experiences and then I bring them back home each day and I kind of use my own place as um, um, a place where I can unpack all those experiences and consider them and um, play with ideas to do with um, possibilities and other ways that things could be or, yeah, just a way of, of, of kind of processing that existential experience and trying to make sense of <laughs> life. Make, make, making yeah. sense, a sense of yeah. all of it. So... Helen's got existentialism on her side. Jude, what's what's sort of drawn you to n- nature and the natural and what is the underpinning thing for you? I think in the beginning and right throughout now, my practice, it's, I begin, it's quite poetic and, and also with the aesthetic, the, the materials, the materiality of, you know, the processes that I use. But you can't, when you're in landscape, in the landscapes and you go to communities and you, you're drawing there, you cannot be not political, especially now, and thinking of all those issues that are happening today. So, of course, that is on my mind when I'm making work. Um, in fact, I'm part of Australian Arts, um, the Earth Arts Collective, um, which is a group of you know scientists, lawyers, artists, Indigenous elders, communities, uh, working together. Um, so that's quite political in, in ways, environmental as well. Um, but I, it's more a, a poetic response. It's like I also love reading about like novels, say Tim Winton, his description of landscapes um, and poetry, Judith Wright, um, you know, um, you quoted her in your application, I, did I believe. Too. It was a long, long fuse laid. I love that 
that she describes that what happens in one place, you know, the destruction of one place, there's always, you know, towards the cities or um, this long fuse is laid that... Um, uh, is primed. Yes, yes, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, the consequences of one that happens in mm. one place, it, it will affect another. And I find that very much when I go out to the places where I used to live, I can see the changes quite visibly. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm very aware of that. And now, so sort of tying that together, what's the project you're working on together here at House Conspiracy? What are, what are, what are sort of the aims? What are, what are the things you're, you're playing with? <laughs> That's quite interesting so far, yeah. hasn't it? It's a lot to do with process, though, isn't it, Helen? It is. It? Yeah. yeah. And I think from that, it's still evolving. I mean, we're, we've had, what, a nine days here, and it's very much about processes and exchanging those ideas and the materials and, mm. um, and uh, the dialogue is just going back and forward um, and about spaces too. That's been interesting, hasn't mm. it? You know, just mm. the spaces that we will be using as Helen said before, bringing the land and those issues, water, into a domestic, into the everyday space. That's why the house is such a great place to work in and, and we'll be, you know, presenting our work here. So mm. um, I think Jude, Jude has a um, deep involvement with paper um, and I found it very interesting looking at all the things that she's laid out in her room and you can see that she works with paper in so many different ways that are very, um, yes, it's, they're quite diverse and experimental. And that would be something that we do have in common that, as she said, we're process-driven. So it is a, a, almost a continuous experimentation that's happening. And out of that experimentation... Will come some sort of work. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to yeah. ask Jude because, I, you know, I'm... I'm a writer, so I'm obviously like quite concerned with paper myself, but in quite a different way to the way you sort of describe what you value in paper. Um, you talk sort of about uh, its absorption qualities and whatnot. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about paper. <laughs> uh, yes, I love paper because obviously it's a medium, one of the main mediums to draw on, and, and drawing is um, where my heart sits. <laughs> Uh, is the centre of all the things that I do within the practice. Um, but when you go out into the, the field and you're drawing, paper has a great... It it's, looks fragile, but it is actually very strong. And it can absorb the, the surfaces that you lay it upon, um, whether that's metaphorically or physically, you know, if you're in damp or dirt areas, to absorb that and the textures that you get from, you know, laying the paper and... Um, down and, and pressing a medium or rubbing a medium into it. Or, um, and also just the light, capturing light is very important. So the process of actually going into landscapes, using that paper, bringing it in, working on it, but also the installation of that paper is important, you know, where the light, where you place that, where you hang it, the movement of paper. But just recently, and I'm... I'm experimenting here at the house too in folding paper which I haven't done much of but recently I've just been interested in looking at artist books which I've never done before 
but I'm really interested in the folds of paper and pr um, how that can change the shape of the paper. I mean, normally paper's either rectangle or actually I've been working on some round circular pieces as well. So folding that paper has been important too and that's given me extra um, aspects to look at with um, the, the sides of dark and light and and where the light captures and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was, I was actually, you've sort of summarised both of you um, a nice framing for, for a question I want to ask and you can call me out if I'm making a generalisation based on what I've seen of your work. But it, it seems to me that... that that Jude, your practice seems to capture sort of the remnants, marks, and impressions of an object. Whereas Helen, you're often concerned with the object itself and mm. sort of arranging mm. objects. Whereas, yeah, Jude, you're you're dealing with remnants. And I, and I want to know like what's what's that that like in terms of sort of the dialogues you guys have together? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think uh, the way you've identified those those two aspects is pretty spot on. Um, uh, I I the way I work is um, specific to a space usually, and it will be installation based. So it won't necessarily be any particular medium, essentially. Um, depending on what it is that I'm interested in at the time. So I'm very interested in the materiality of the things that I use. Um, and so we're, the, the conversations we've been having have been around the things that we've brought in, basically, and how we might um, work with them in our individual studio spaces and how we might work with them here in the living room, dining room and under the house as well. So it's um, been in terms of, yes, paper usage. You know, I, I'm thinking it's very interesting that Jude's, she showed me today one piece of paper that she has folded and I could see immediately why she was interested in exploring that some more because I think it looked really interesting and beautiful. And at the same time, I'm working on, um, well, I have one very large piece of paper downstairs. I don't know if you've seen that, Jonathan, but it's, it's biggish. Is it the one that's draped? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it it's travels biggish. around the house. Yeah, so I've had it in my studio space. I've probably dragged it out here. It's a little bit like my um, uh, security blanket. I yeah, it's I like Linus from, uh, uh, <laughs> from Linus. Peanuts. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I do feel a little bit like Linus with that piece of paper at the moment. <laughs> and I, I think I've figured out how I'm going to use it downstairs. But I'm also working with other pieces of paper now. I think I've got an idea. Um, making them three-dimensional. So not really folding them, but getting, giving them some body and then um, getting them to stand up so that they create landforms. Yeah, so they will make a terrain. So I've been um, this year working... With floor paintings, you would have seen the one at the grad show. Yes. Yeah, so I work with lime wash onto floors. I don't think I, this is really the place to do exactly that. But <laughs> downstairs, but... Yeah, maybe downstairs. At least um, not on the polished floors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I promise. I mean, I mean, we, we can't stop you, <laughs> but <Yeah>. don't. <laughs> no, I'm pretty pleased. This morning, I think I figured out how I'm going to do it. Great. Mm. Yes, and then so then my question is what dimension, so what size will I go? 
and I think that it will tie in pretty nicely with with Jude's um, plans for her paper things or objects. Mm. And yeah. now is this, this is all sort of largely in response to the trip you guys took in June, was it? Down to the Great Artesian Basin. Um, has... Has, have those plans shifted while you've been in the, the house conspiracy space? Or are you more or less fulfilling the vision and what, would it, what, what, what is coming from that trip you took three, four months ago? Yeah, you- no, I think we're on track. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. Um, yeah. Because we have collected, the idea was we collected material, whether that be video, sediments, drawings, objects, found objects, we have collected them to bring and we have brought them all here to the house. So um, we're responding to that and um, uh, and, and, the ob- and just going back to with the objects in, within my practice as well, the objects that I've um, used in... Um, I, I took out some silver placemats actually to the, the bore, the hot artesian bore, and place them in the um, bore drains. And I've done a video of the, the silver placemat sitting on the, the base with the, the 50 degree hot artesian water um, over them. Um, so that's going to be one of the videos that I'll have in an installation here at the house. Um, so for me also, objects are used with, as I was saying before, with the rubbings. So, my objects too come with me. They're they're very much kind of a security blanket as well. In fact, I've got a a, a shower rose that I've had for years, and if I ever lost that, I'd be devastated. <laughs> um, and I also use found objects to draw with. So I've got a, a copper float that's from a cattle trough that I um, draw with as well. I put carbon paper and, and roll it over. So those sort of things create the tool the objects I collect do are used for tools for drawing as well yeah great and so you're you're really using the space as a space to to display it's almost like displaying the findings from an archaeological dig (laughs) yeah but I guess Mm. we're transforming those objects as well Mm. Mm. yes of course Mm. yeah yes so it is like a ongoing discourse mm. or dialogue yes isn't it yes yeah um, that goes, I think, on individually, but then as a collaboration as well. So I really, most of the work I've produced this year, well, since June, um, has been part of the same process. And one really doesn't know how long that process might go on. You just pull, what were we saying? Pull the length of string yes, until, yeah. until, until you run out of it. I think yes. that came up with just about every artist here at the residency dinner we had. I wanted to ask you guys actually sort of like as a power duo because, you know, you guys sort of as emerging artists in the house, like we purposefully paired you with two younger sort of artists, um, largely because, um, well, we find, I mean, I find like what's interesting is that, that age doesn't matter so much and that it seems to me that you guys are just as relevant as any sort of younger artist. Um, but yeah, what's it like sort of being <laughs> a power duo in sort of the, the quite sort of, <laughs> <Power duo. laughs> the, yeah, the quite sort of mm-hmm. young, younger skewed emerging artist sort of quote unquote demographic, even though the demographic mm. is 
when when viewed correctly, a very broad umbrella. Mm. Are there differences? Do you notice anything or do you just sort of operate as artists? <laughs> well, primarily you do operate just as an artist, but you do... Um, you see the advantages and disadvantages of being uh, mature age <laughs> uh, against someone who's much younger. Um, perhaps there's more, you know, not with younger people in general, it's, they're, they're not afraid at all to do anything, take risks, which I think I still have that part of in me, but perhaps not as much as I had when I was younger. Um, but we've, I think, as Helen was saying before, the experiences that we've had, um, I think, have we've gained um, with our practice. Um, I think that's a great thing to um, mm. to have. But I think primarily you just you're not, you don't think about age until mm. you, you you might have to fill out an application until some arsehole so, on a podcast <laughs> brings <yeah>. it up. <laughs> but but um, in saying that too, Jonathan, I'm very both Helen and I are very pleased that we didn't have to say our age or send a photograph without this proposal because I think it is important that that people of all ages can apply artists of all ages it doesn't it doesn't mm. really matter what what demographic you're in yeah so that's good yeah well yeah yeah I, and I, I this is such a broken record at this point but yeah it's just yeah. you know the fact that so much funding cuts off when you arbitrarily turn 30 mm, mm. Uh, just by the fact that you can spend the first 30 years of your life doing all sorts of things mm. um, that aren't art related and still sort of develop. I mean the the for instance the average age of a first novel printing is 36. Mm. So go figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure I'm sure it's similar for sort of headline exhibitions and this that the other. But um sh- shifting away from sort of mature age arbitrary questioning. Um do you guys see your work as a as a culmination of sort of no I am still on the mature age thing <laughs> I think um, no I, I want I wanted, I wanted to ask you guys um, when in terms of sort of thinking about that that advantage disadvantage and sort of like younger people sort of being le- less afraid less afraid to take risks hypothetically do you think it's actually more so that you are more aware of what you want to do or, or mm. that you, you know what you're building towards? Yeah, and maybe it's having faith in your own, in, you know, your intuitions and having a lot of faith in that. Maybe over ex- years, I'm only speaking for myself, I'm, I'm presuming Helen may think similar um, because we both work mm. intuitively. It's trusting that voice and trusting those processes and just, you know because of ex- past experience, that something will come of it if you just keep going, keep pushing with through it. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, a very good comment. And um, what I would add to that is that in a way I think I'm much happier to take risks now. Um, and I think one reason might be that... Um, after a bit of water has gone under the bridge, you realise you're actually going to run out of time. Mm, and it's, it's like, look, whatever, just give it a go. Um, live with the fear of the shame or whatever it is, you know, whatever risk it is that you're going to take. Mm. 
it's not going to be that bad. Mm. And failure is actually okay. Uh, whereas I think I was a lot harder on myself when I was younger and it made me really inhibited. So I can think of a time when I think it was in, I was in my last year of school and I went in a, an art competition. I was doing art in year 12 and we were encouraged to do this. It was a statewide competition and I won it. And that really scared me off art. I just got such a fright and I got attention <laughs> and strangers wrote to me and said that they wanted to buy my work and, you know, I was 16 or 17 and it was so bizarre and unexpected and I think my whole family was quite shocked <laughs> that, um, you know, I got offers to have places in art school and so on and I just chose to do something else. What did you do? I did a, um, I started an arts degree, and which I didn't complete for quite a number of years, um, keeping still the interest in art, and I, you know, I did art history as part of that. But really, I think I feel a lot more relaxed about life and living, and so, and when I really thought I'm going to just take this art thing on now and really give it a go, being aware that time was running out that um, I would not be judgmental about what I was doing as much as I could. And you need to be a critic of your own work, of course, but that I would just really try not to let that stop me doing what I wanted to do and trying stuff. Now, that work you made in Year 12, was that similar at all to, to where your focus lies now or no. was it quite disparate? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, look, in a way, I suppose it could have been. It was... It was a painting of some people. I don't think I knew what I was doing then. It's really hard. So it was still intuitive then as it is now? I guess so. I guess so. Um, that's one thing that I really notice about being an older person is that um, young people just haven't seen anything or done anything and I was the same. So it's, it's kind of in a way easier to make art now because I have mm. something to draw Mm. upon that has just accumulated because one has been here alive doing stuff you do gather stuff and you do you are processing as you go through life and that's a really interesting thing does that speak at all to your experience Jude oh yeah 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 for sure um just trying to think of yeah bit by bit you just gather up those experiences and memories, you know, memories play a big part in your work too, I find. Um, maybe as you get a bit older, you look back on things too. Um, like I'm a grandmother now and I see my grandchildren and think, um, you know, I look back when I was a mum and or um, perhaps when I was a bit, you know, younger. So, um, yeah, I think you... It's, it's memories that play a, lot, a part in the, in the making as well. Uh, I don't know whether that answered that question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think speaking to memory and experience. I mean that that's got to play into everything. Even even when you're sort of exploring a site or a place in the natural world, you're bringing everything to that. And mm. I think in your cases, it creates for quite a compelling set of works. Um, so I can't wait to see what you've got at the showcase. Mm. Do you have a working title for what you're 
what this project is? I haven't give title, given title a thought at all. No, actually. we haven't, but it's on my Quick, mind. do one right now. <laughs> no, uh, we'll call yeah. it the Helen and Jude extravaganza <laughs> <Yeah>. for now. <laughs> so I like that. Sounding good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I won't impress you into that at all. Um, so to sort of land, land the interview, um, what, what's, what's next after this sort of incubation process at House Conspiracy? What's next for both of you? Uh, Jude? Well, just having, I mean, even though it's only been, will be short by the time we finish here, it's only just a bit less than four weeks, I think. Just under, yeah. But it, um, just going into a different envi- studio environment, it um, it makes you think a bit differently about your work. So, that, you know, the, we're, we're making new work here. So I've, I'm touching on a few things here um, that, you know, they'll carry through. Um so I've actually got a couple of exhibitions lined up for next year. So the, the work that I'm doing now will definitely progress into something more for for those exhibitions. Um, yeah. And just also about the house, you know, bringing that work into a house. This this really is a, I don't know what era it is, maybe 19... 20s, 20s or 30s, so, yeah. yeah. Very similar to the house that I lived on... Um, on the property out in Western Queensland. Um, so it's the objects that I have here too are very like the silver teapot and the placemats and the lace tablecloth, very much aligned with this mm. house. So I'm really thinking about that, um, those issues of the everyday, you know, uses of water and, and land coming in. So that's really helped me um, for the next part of the art making, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure really where I'm going. I can say that I haven't finished exploring the kinds of materials that I'm using and the way I'm working with them. I've done um, works that were not about landscape this year also, though, with those same materials or similar. So I think it's probably... um, I'll follow this through. I think some more work will come out of this, but then I'm not too sure where it will go. I know next year, though, that I do. I will apply for, say, um, looking at the Aries around Brisbane. Yeah. Finding ways of connecting with those that community and um, hopefully getting a show there or a group show or two happening next year. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sitting down for this uh, collaborative edition of the podcast um yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing your work and um thank you for giving us your time and your work here at house conspiracy thank you jonathan thanks jonathan yeah it's been wonderful so far yeah definitely has been (laughs) great thank you The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>